Good morning again. My name is Andrew. Last week we started into a series called The Light Has Come, and we're working through the, the Gospel of John chapter 1. And if you remember, if you were here last week, we worked through the first five verses. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what we saw through those first five verses is that the Word is Jesus, and that Jesus is God, come in the flesh. And that ultimately what John 1 is pointing us to is the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, invading our darkness to bring salvation. And kind of as an introduction this week, I want to look uh, at a few verses, three verses in John chapter 1. As we continue to look at it, John 1 verses 6 through 8 says this. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. And again, the light is who? It's Christ. It's Jesus. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And what you see, you see this phrase or this word that's used uh, several times here, and it's the word witness. It's the word witness. Okay, we, 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 we've defined who the light is. It's Jesus, but then it introduces us and John 1 to this individual named John who was coming to bear witness to the light. And there was a purpose that he was coming to bear witness or to speak of or to testify about the light. In verse number 7, it tells us exactly what that's for. That all might, what? Believe through him. Okay? So the reason he came to bear witness is that so all who, who heard his message that he testified to would believe that would believe in Jesus, that he was the light of the world, come to bring salvation to us. And later on, Jesus would say to his followers, he would say, he would say that he was the light of the world, but then he would go on to say that, that you, the followers of Jesus, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that can't be hid. And you know what he was saying? He was saying, church, collectively, the followers of Jesus, you are now the light of the world. You are meant to shine light and to bring to light the person and the work of Jesus. And so that is our role, is to be witnesses to the light. And this morning, we get to hear from um, one of God's servants who is fulfilling this role, just as John did, just as all of us are called to do in bringing the light of the glorious gospel to people. And so I have the great privilege this morning of introducing you uh, not only to Derek Gowdy, who needs no introduction, right? He's one of our own, uh, but to Dr. All right, I'm going off script to start with this morning, so... If some of you don't like this, I apologize, but a couple have asked me to do this again, so I think you know what's coming up. So again, if you, if, I don't mean to make anybody angry this morning, but, but here we go. All right, so on three, you know what to do. We're going to welcome Dr. Ugo in Ric Flair fashion, okay? One, two, three. Woo! <laughs> I'll explain what that really means later, I know. You think we're having a Pentecostal hole in this moment here. But uh, thank you for allowing us this time this morning. Um, I think we are always important when we talk about missions and international missions especially is to say why up first, you know, up front first. And 
as Jesus taught us throughout Matthew, Matthew 4, he went throughout Galilee, he went locally, and he did three things. He taught, he healed, and he preached, doing three more things, using his eyes, his hand, and his heart. So you, you, you hear, so as he went through in Matthew 4, locally, then in Matthew 9, he taught us, he went out through all the villages and the communities regionally. So our church is involved with Kentucky, right? The youth go there. So that's our regional outreach. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go to all the nations. So our third part of our ministry and our outreach is to go to Guatemala. So it's not a, well, do we do local or regional or international? It's an and. We serve our community. We serve Lugoff. We serve Kershaw County. We serve Kentucky. And we serve Guatemala. So... I met Dr. Hugo back in 2002. Um, we had, a group of us had gone throughout Mexico and throughout parts of Central America over about 10 days. And we were trying to find someone that we could partner with to do an outreach. That we just didn't go in and flash and do a good project like build them a building and leave. We wanted to partner with a village so we could build relationships and have an ongoing ministry and missions there. And on the last two days we spent with Dr. Ugo, and he rode us all over the country in little Toyota trucks. And you know, have you ever had that point where the Holy Spirit just speaks, wow, I'm just so confident. I'm so at peace with this decision because I know this is from God. And that was when we met Dr. Ugo and decided that we were going to partner with him in Guatemala. And we were riding back from the airport Friday night. And we laughed about it because we said, you in 2002 when we met, we had, well, we'll go with Dr. Ugo. We'll find a village. We'll partner with two or three years, and then we'll move on somewhere else. You know, and now we're making plans for our 2020 trip, which will be our 21st trip. And, it, and we laugh because we tell God our plans. God, this is what we're going to do. Please be a part of it. And he has to look down and laugh at us and go, really? That's all you're thinking? It was like the song we said, God has done great things. Sometimes we think about good things, and God delivers great things if we would be faithful. So as our ministry with Dr. Ugo has grown over the years, so is his personal ministry. So what we'd like to do this morning, if you allow us, is we're going to talk a little bit about Dr. Ugo, his history, and then his, um, his community health and evangelism uh, work that he does. And then we're going to drill it down even more specifically to what we do with him in our current village, okay? So, Dr. Ugo, you, you've told me this story before, and it always moves me. When you talk about when, you're, when you graduated from medical school, about work is work and come and do ministry outside of that. But Dr. Ugo had this experience where he decided, you know, they're going to become one and the same. Can you share that with us a little bit, please? First of all, blessings to everyone here. I'm very privileged to be here for the first time and meet all of you. Um, in 1980, I was uh, completing my senior year of medical school in Guatemala. I had a wife then, and a two-year-and-a-half, two-year-and-a-half-old boy, Hugo Jr., and then Mario, who was a baby. Um, 
and there were arrangements for me to go and specialize in Brazil for radiology. Uh, that, was, that was going to happen in April of 81. But uh, in January, I get this call to the hospital, um, the last month of my last year in medical school. Uh, and the call was from the director of the Presbyterian Health Program, because I grew up in the Presbyterian Church in Guatemala. And uh, uh, the call said, uh, I'm Pastor Cruz. Cruz, like a cross, not like the actor, Cruz, Tom Cruz. <laughs> uh, you know me, and um, at the Mam Christian Clinic in the mountains of West Guatemala, the Mam Christian Clinic, uh, Dr. Campos is uh, about to expire his, contra his contract uh, on January 31st. We have been looking for another doctor to replace him, and we cannot find anyone willing to go there. The guerrilla warfare was happening in that area. It was very tough in those years. So he was going back to Guatemala City, and we have been looking for a doctor, and we can't find anybody interested. So we know you are about to complete your training, your medical degree, and um, you are Presbyterian, so we need you there. So I say, wait for me. I have to go back to the house later today and talk to my wife and we'll pray and let you know. Uh, so the Lord guided us to forget about Brazil and uh, go to the mountains in the west among the Mam indigenous people. But after about two months there, regular medical work, administration, the clinic was six beds, uh, six beds, uh, delivery room, uh, dental clinic, uh, pharmacy, laboratory, and, and uh, two senior medical students in rotation for six months, and, and uh, one senior medical student, two junior medical students in rotation for two months, and a dental school student, senior student for eight months. So I was in charge of all of them. Um, but after seeing the patients for that morning, I went back to the house in the compound and for lunch. Uh, Miriam was not very ready, uh, ready for lunch, my wife. So I started to play with the kids there in the living room and, and uh, waiting for her to be ready. So and then we hear in the back door of the kitchen. And I went to see who, who was it. It was one of the nurses and she said, doctor, there is one more patient. Uh, and she she's coming from Las Barrancas, this village which is very far away. And I realized it had been tough for her to get to the clinic at that time of the day because Las Barrancas is a village 23 kilometers on a tertiary road that there were no buses. Even today there are no buses going there. Uh, it's either by private trucks or, or by food that you put the kid on her back uh, for 23 kilometers uphill. Then she took the bus down to the valley where the clinic was, and she made it to the clinic by noon. Uh, so I, I asked my wife, uh, love how long till lunch? I need 10, 15 more minutes, she said. So 
Okay, I'll be back. I left the kids there with her and went back to the clinic and examining room. And when I walked into the examining room, I see this uh, young mom, lady, M-A-M, the native name for that people group. Um, and I thought she was the patient. And of course, she had a kid on her back, like usually there. And, um, and so I opened the paper, the medical file, and, uh, and I read the name of a boy, three-year-old, three and still on her back, I thought. Okay, then I read the viral signs and wait. The way he he was weighing 15 pounds, three year old, 15 pounds. Uh, there must be a mistake here, either age or, or or weight in pounds. So uh, I started to ask questions to her. Then I say, okay, let's check wool. So, so she got the kid out of her back and put and started to unwrapping him because there it's cool weather most of the year at high altitude, very high mountains. And um, uh, so they wrap them only the eyes open. Um, so when she does that and I see the kid, I was shocked because I had seen those pictures only in books, only from books. Never during my training I saw any hard case like that. He was skin and bones, like those very sad cases of terminal malnutrition called marasmo nutricional in Spanish. Ah, and I say, okay, that's why 15 pounds and three years of age. And then I start asking more questions, and really I faked, like I examined, because it was lost case, of course, at that at that stage. So I fake like I hear his heart and his lungs and check his body. But uh, I had to tell her, you know, your kid is agonizing. She kind of knew it, but she had hope. But uh, then I told her, we cannot do much here in the 17 kilometers away from, and the clinic was 17 kilometers from the city. Uh, the, the city where we live now, Quetzaltenango. And um, uh, she said, no. I said, why not? Knowing that our people are afraid of hospitals in Guatemala, especially from the rural. Uh, and I, she said, because my husband doesn't know, he will not give me permission, and if I do that, he will beat me when I get back home. Um, so I say, okay, I insisted, no solution. So she, I told her, well, stay here in the clinic for a few days. Let's see what we can do. Knowing medically you couldn't do anything, really, too late. So uh, finally we have to let her go back to her village again uh, with some food supplements for her, not for the kid. Um, and I asked her all the questions, you know, about breastfeeding. She had breastfed him for a year and a half. He was growing well. Then uh, when she tried to wean the baby and introduce new foods, she didn't know how to do it. And the kid caught diarrhea. And Okay. Um, about five days later, she comes back. 
And the kid was. But I started again all the questions and checking on him. And finally, because she had said she was giving him milk and other foods, I thought she was doing it to her best. And then um, I asked her finally, what type of milk do you give to him? And I expected some weird answer of any strange animal or anything because she wouldn't afford powdered milk, you know, or formula or anything like that. So I was expecting a crazy answer like that, one of those things, weird milks. But then she said, Phyllis, what type of milk? Phyllis, Phyllis. Then I thought, you mean the milk in the blue bottle? I said, Phillips? Milk of Magnesia Phillips? And she said, yes. Oh, I felt like somebody slapped on my face. And I think I heard the voice. He said, wake up. What your people, what my people, they need education. And that was what turned this all around. That I was not there. The Lord had not taken us, my wife and my kids and I, to those mountains. Not to do only medical, a medical job not to do only administration of that clinic work. He had taken me there for a different purpose, to educate them, not only physically or materially in physical health, but to bring the light to them, to be a witness for his light in the indigenous people of Guatemala. And ever since uh, the Lord started to take us out of the clinic once a day, once a week, leaving the clinic in the hands of the other staff, uh, and do clinic in the morning, teaching or preaching in the afternoon, sometimes returning to the base at night or next day uh, with my wife and a nurse and the two kids. And uh, that's how it started. Thank you. That, that story still, I've heard it so many times and it still moves me. What Andrew has been taking us on a path now is discipling the next generation and, 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 and multiplication, not just people, but multiplication of our faith and disciples there. So you, you talk very much about the need for the training and the education. So just tell us a little bit about the community health and evangelism, the CHE training. I know it's a very detailed program, but just at a high level, how you go into these villages and train them so that then they can carry that on to someone else and how they can take care of the next generation and make disciples. Uh, Global CHE Enterprises, the name of the ministry we are running for the last 10 years, we help co-found it with our current board and um, um, it's only uh, Global Enterprises that I am the president of. 
only is one of the 630 organizations in the Global Chain Network, which has become a movement. The Global Chain Network uh, is in 130 countries of the world, open and free countries for the gospel, like Latin America, or most of Latin America, but it's also present in closed countries, like uh, Buddhist countries, uh, is in India, and 130 countries in all the continents. The movement is there with, I said, more than, six, more than 630 organizations, which is denominations, uh, uh, mission organizations, and uh, Christian NGOs, and churches. Um, and we are only one part of that. And uh, our organization, Global Chain Enterprises, is in charge of Mesoamerica, from Mexico through Panama, eight countries. But the Global Chain Network, the movement, has core values in, for CHE, for Community Health Evangelism. The core values, the main ones are uh, integration, multiplication, community ownership, and uh, development as a complement to relief, transformation. So when we say about integration and the spiritual and the physical training and training of individuals, families, and individuals, families, and communities is taking place all over the world, I say. That integration, when we teach a spiritual lesson, we have to also teach a physical topic. Or if we do the, we begin with the physical topic in a village on one given day, there has to be a spiritual lesson. Uh, by integration, we mean that, not uh, separating the spiritual and the physical social ministry. And uh, for multiplication, we talk about uh, multiplying not only people and number of followers of Jesus, but multiplying the truth spiritual and physical truth among the followers and the people. Um, by um, community ownership, we do not talk only about projects, community projects, but whatever happens at the community level, family level, must be their own work. So we aim to train them to do their own work. Yes, we can facilitate training on the spiritual and physical, but it's not going to be Global Chain Enterprises project or only Friendship Church project or so-and-so project. It's the community's project. So they will, it will be for sustainability and maintenance or whatever the project is that they launch. But uh, that's what we mean by community ownership. We can help them, we can facilitate, but it's their work after you train them. And then I was talking about development and relief. We find a place for retrain them for long-term impact that they can uh, sustain uh, and have and see long-term impact uh, after years, even if we live as a team or as a uh, outreach and move to a different place, they will continue with it and multiply more. So those four core values are part of community health evangelism, but if I can summarize it, CHE is an integration, not only combination, but integration of evangelism, 
discipleship, prevention of disease, and promotion of good health. All of those together, inter, how do you say, inter, yeah. yeah. All of those um, walk a community, a village, in the road to abundant life. All of those together. That's what, if I can summarize it. You did good. You did good. Because Dr. Ugo, you know, he's thinking in Spanish and then talking in English. I'm thinking in English. I don't know what I'm talking in. So when you look for me to help you with vocabulary, you, you're, you're, you're talking to the wrong person. Um, so we've talked about, you know, Dr. Ugo's past, what brought him into the growth of this ministry. Because when he talks about shade, expand, we want to do good things and God does great things. And that's the perfect example of that. So now we're going to talk a little more specifically about the village. You know, over the 20 years, we've been honored to be a part of eight different village relationships. And what Dr. Ugo said is very important. You know, it's kind of like the expression we've all heard many times, you know, give a man a fish and feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. And that's what's going on here. So when, when Dr. Ugo leaves, it just doesn't fall apart. And the thing that's so cool about it, it continues to grow because when people go through the training and the village goes through all those different phases, then they take that and go to somewhere else in a neighboring village and start it. And that's the responsibility and the burden that they carry is we're now going to go plant another church. We're going to go to another village and help this out. So the first thing we'll talk about is the next picture, please. You'll see that uh, Friendship and our groups are helping build a Los Arenales, a church building. Um, the church is a church plant from a neighboring village, so they're just getting started, less than two years old. And, and in that culture, the building is kind of the heartbeat of the community. It's a multi-purpose facility. That's where they meet for training. That's where they meet for worship. But everything comes back to that central point of that village, and this village being spread out at 10,000 feet above sea level in the mountains, it's very important that they have this. So we've been honored enough from the ground up to get it to this point. Update us there on the status of this and, 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 and where we are right now as we sit here today. I have some notes here about the village. We're working with 90 villages in the region. Uh, by region, I mean Mesoamerica region, which I'm in charge of uh, coordinating. Some in Nicaragua, in Honduras, El Salvador, and in Guatemala. Uh, a couple in Belize already. But it's about 90 villages, and uh, in those current villages in Guatemala, as Derek mentions, Arenales, Los Arenales. Um, the work there began in early 2018, last year, from, uh, it was the outreach of the previous village, like Derek said, the village of Vista Hermosa, which is about only four kilometers away from Arenales. But that's the way that Che multiplies. Uh, let me do a parenthesis here before talking more about Arenales. Uh, in the Chen Network, there is an initiative called the One Million Village Challenge. And the aim, the goal of a million village in all the world, villages. Um, to do that, to motivate all the organizations and partners uh, in that process of the 
challenge. Uh, we're having, we're doing consultations uh, in, the, in, in various regions of the world. So the consultation for Mesoamerica happened last August. And in that consultation, uh, all of us there from those countries and some partners are like Campus Crusade and Barnabas Task and uh, of course representatives from the Global Chain Network and our local um, partners like the Church of the Nazarene, the Church of God there in, in Guatemala uh, were present. And we all uh, committed ourselves that instead of the 90 villages that we're working with this year, we hope and pray and we'll work for 200 villages by the end of 2020 in that process. And then it should multiply if we all are faithful and committed to do that work. But Arenales, going back, uh, this village started then uh, from Vistermont. So they, as the result of the 17 steps of Che, outreach to this village Arenales in early 2018. And our teams of trainers uh, that work with the, that area, the Quiche trainers that you know, those who have been there, um, have been doing that process, the process of entering the community, and then the phase two process of uh, training, and then there is the evaluation and expansion phase. But in Arenales, we're already in phase two, training the community, which means they already have a committee, community committee of seven members. They have 10 chair volunteers, community health evangelists, volunteers from the village, very villagers. Uh, 10 of them who visit the 208 homes or houses in the community because uh, we cannot say 208 families because in some homes there are two or three families uh, gathered or living there. For a total of about 1,500 people in the village, small isolated village as you have heard. Uh, the church, the congregation is already 15 members, uh, committed members. There is more people attending around them, but it's about, we have worked with some community projects like improving the school, improving the, the church uh, kitchen with your help. And also they have work uh, and sanitation and um, they have done, we have done medical clinics with them, not only when you come as a team, but also we have had the help of our partner, a Christian Veterinary Mission from Phoenix. They have come even twice in a year, and do vaccinate and treat animals uh, and all type of animals from the village and the villages around. Uh, they have been host for that and evangelism and witness one-to-one -one with their our simple materials, picture booklets for evangelism, follow-up, and then discipleship further along. Uh, there are all of those works that they have been doing, but especially the training that is going on, even when we live, is supposed, not supposed, it's expected that they will reach more villages around them, like the previous village Mr. Mosa is doing with them and others. Uh, 
around. So we call those clusters in the One Million Village Challenge. From one model village, you that way they are being witness also uh, to multiply. Thank you. And, and see the neat parallel there is because for us, this is of the three parts of missions, right? This is international missions, but we're partnering with someone that's doing local and regional missions. So you see all three parts going on at one time, which is really, really neat. And Dr. Ugo mentioned the medical clinics, which are part of what we do. When we go there, we, we work in the schools with Vacation Bible School. We, we do some type of construction project, which means supply some materials and then follow over ourselves by the experts there actually do the work. But then also we are involved with, with the worship. If we can go to the next slide. One of the, the um, more touching things, and, and I've shared this, some of you have already seen this picture before. Uh, this was a child that came, in with, came into the clinic with a severe eye infection, and had it not been treated, he would have gone blind. And, and if you think about those conditions in which they live in, they're at high altitudes, and we often think of Guatemala, you think it as being warm and hot all the time, but in the altitudes, it's not. When we were there in July, it got down at night into the high 30s, and it was common during the day to be, you know, in the 50s, but during their winter, you know, it gets down into the 20s, and these people live in homes with no heat. So I can only, I can't even imagine, really, is how that would be time with that child saved his eyesight. So when we think about the impacts, and, and to me, <clears throat> that's something great, right? That's great. But those economic conditions that lead to these type of issues, I mean, most of the people there are living on a dollar to two dollars, and Dr. Ugo will talk a little bit more about this in a second, U.S. dollars per day. It's not that their expenses are any cheaper than ours, but they're living off of surviving off of one to two dollars a day. And this is why we're going there. This is why we go to the rural areas of the indigenous people is because of those conditions. Most of them don't have electricity. They don't have heat in their homes because they can't afford to burn the wood to heat the homes. So you're, you're raising children. You're getting them ready to go to school. You're trying to motivate them in all those surroundings, right? So, Dr. Ugo, if you could just talk a little bit more about the economic conditions that lead to some of these things, such as the life expectancy only being 55 years for those people. Help us understand a little bit more again locally about what's going on and where we're trying to help. If you visit or, or check the internet and you Google like uh, statistics for uh, economic things in Latin America, you will find out that even uh, if, when you also visit Guatemala and you land Guatemala City, to move out of the city and go to, to our area in the west of Guatemala, you think Guatemala is prosperous, and it, it seems prosperous on those areas in Guatemala City, but as the further out you go from Guatemala City, you will start to realize uh, the difference, the contrast in that economy. And uh, Derek just mentioned that the United Nations just increase the line of poverty level, uh, an extreme poverty for the third world, from one dollar to a dollar fifty or two dollars a day. People living under under that are considered in extreme poverty. And Guatemala is competing in Latin America for the first place in 
poverty with Haiti and Bolivia only. Guatemala even looks like I said when you arrive there by plane. It's competing with Haiti and Bolivia, the three poorest countries. And sometimes they say Honduras, but uh, um, in those numbers and figures of the United Nations and the World Bank and those things, uh, we are that, at that level. Um, when you 321 million children in Guatemala, uh, I mean, in Latin America, by 2030 will be adolescents or becoming young people. I mean, uh, that, that age, by 2030. And they are not going to be only 321 million children by then. It's going to be even more. But those children, if there is 30,000 children dying per day, per day from infectious contagious diseases that can be easily preventable if there was enough prevention. You could uh, decrease those and alleviate those statistics. And uh, if they are living, uh, if how many, let's see, 92% of the children of the world um, are living under that poverty line of, of the children of the world, under that poverty line. And uh, if you think then that Arenales is part of that, just think on that percentage in average, also that they are not only uh, suffering from lack of money, but they are part of the cycle of poverty that includes that vulnerability for um, children's trafficking, traffic of children for sex exploitation or slavery. They are also vulnerable to abuse drugs, I mean abuse of substances, drugs, alcohol, which is everyday problem there in, in our countries. And uh, when you think about that cycle of poverty, that needs to be broken. How can that happen? Will it be only uh, giving the money or only food or only shelter or only uh, material things? Well, you, you realize it's not only that. It means what the Lord told me, education, training. And if Chase is a non-formal type of education, it's not the uh, academic education, but education for daily life in the spiritual and the physical. You can help diminish that vulnerability of those children now and for the future if we work in their education. School, public school it has from six, uh, first to sixth grade only education offered for them. They don't even complete six grades. The six years of education. They sometimes the parents are happy that they learn to read and write two or three, two or three years of schooling, and then they put them to work. They need their labor, of course, but they could do better if we complete uh, elementary school and then educating them more like uh, 
junior high school that we intend now to partner with you uh, for that uh, junior high level to offer to those kids will help in long term to decrease that vulnerability. That they won't have to go to the city of Huehuetenango to look for jobs in the streets or be vulnerable more. That they don't have to go to Guatemala City anymore. That they won't have to go to Mexico and then the US. That will be a, a big uh, turnout if we can prevent all of that, because when they come to the U.S. to work, maybe they'll get more money in cash, yes, but the problems left back there with broken homes and all of those are, have no, no way of measuring it. Thank you. And for the sake of we'll give it over back to, to Andrew, but at the next picture up there, uh, Dr. Ugo hits on a very important part about education and, and you know it's a it's a sensitive topic and we don't want to have a political platform up here that's not what we're trying to do but immigration and coming to the u.s what's the solution there and you hear from someone in guatemala that solution is trained to people there so that they don't have a reason to leave that they stay in their country they support their families that's 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 the solution so again there's just another piece of many parts that we're contributing as a church family to help them but this picture here was the first village we went to in 2003. And really why I want to end on this slide is because what you see in the background is their school. This village had only existed for six months when we got there. And one of the first things that Dr. Ugo and his team, when they went in there, they started emphasizing the importance of education. So they, these people were living in stick huts, but they already had a school, which is pretty cool. But when you think about that school... We went in and we painted it and cleaned it up. And you had two desks pointing this way was first grade. The three desks this way was second grade. And, you know, and they went through sixth grade. But, but we cleaned out more scorpions and spiders than you ever would think you would, could imagine that would existed with children and learn know anything. And we would see the kids wiping the flies from their heads while they were, they were diligently learning. It was a dirt floor building, and previous to that, it was, the, it was a storage shed for agricultural equipment and pesticides. So I used the word, I used the word zeal. They had such a zeal and a thirst to learn. And that's what we're going to do as a church body is help them with that. The next generation, making disciples and help them in their school. So you saw the building earlier that was partially completed. And what the Dr. Ugo was alluding to is, is friendship. Friendship Church is going to start a 7th and 8th grade school there. And it's going to be a Christian academy to teach these kids, the next leaders, the next generation. And it's exciting stuff because you go back to 2002, it's been a part, it's a core element of what we do. We couldn't think of a better way to, to practice what Andrew's preached is let's look after the next generation, that responsibility we have, and let's make disciples through a Christian school that's teaching the, the love of Christ along with bettering these people for the future. So thank you for your time, and we'll turn this back over to Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> you know, um, Jesus be a light. Not just a light in our community, but to be a light to the nations and to take the light to the nations. And I, 
I love what Dr. Hugo is doing and what Che is doing. I believe in what they're doing because uh, I love that word integration because there's this holistic bringing of the light. It's, it's not just the physical. It's not just the spiritual. It's, it's the whole person. You know, we are spiritual beings with souls, and yet God had to come in the flesh to bring the light to us. And, and I love what they're doing because I, when you look at the scriptures and how the gospel is supposed to be transmitted, it's person to person and family to family and village to village, people to people, nation to nation. And I remember when, you know, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he talked about it as if it was, was like a seed, right? A small little seed that was planted, but it would, it would germinate and take root and it would grow and it would expand and it would, it would take over, it would grow huge. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. And so I love to see what is going on as the gospel and, and as, as, as Dr. Ugo and these folks are going in and impacting villages and we see villages transformed. And then those villages taking the light and transforming other communities. And I love to see that happen. And, you know, I also think of Jesus, your heart also. He didn't say where your heart is, you're going to put money towards it. He said, no, 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 where you put your money, where you put your treasure, your heart will follow. And so here's what I would love to do as a church is to put our treasure where God is doing work so that our heart would follow, so that our hearts would be about the gospel and taking the light to folks. And so one of the things that we want to do as a church is for our Christmas offering, okay, as we as a church are trying to raise money um, in the season of giving, which sometimes it's the season of getting, right, in America, but it's a season of giving because it's all about God gave the greatest gift to us. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to raise and be able to give away $10,000 as a church to what we're calling Go Guatemala, which if, if you notice the building, okay, did you see the building that was going up, that, that multi-purpose church, school, community center? You, you saw the walls, but did you see something that was missing that was quite important on a, on a building? A roof. And with $10,000, what we would be able to do is provide the roof to finish off that building, and also that 7th, 8th grade that we want to be a part of starting, we would get to fund the salary for that teacher, to be able to invest in those kids, the next generation, for, for a year. And so if we as a church, man, if we could put our treasure to Los Arenales, okay, I call it the L.A. of Guatemala, all right? It's not quite the size of Los Angeles, California, but um, it's easier to say L.A., right? Uh, if we could be this, this little village, this little town in Lugoff, South Carolina, being a part of impacting this little village in Guatemala with the light of the gospel. Wouldn't that be amazing for us as a church to be able to do that? Amen. And so here's what I want to do. Would you stand with us? Uh, Dr. Ugo, can I say thank you again for being here? Can we thank him for being here this morning? <laughs> Derek, Phyllis, Dr. Ugo, would you, all, would you all mind coming up front? I want, to, I want us as a church to pray over you because we, we have had a loose partnership um, through Derek and, and, and a lot of folks, a lot of you that have been a part of going on these trips. My hope would be that all of us could at some point, um, maybe not like this whole group at once, but over the years, we could, every single one of us, put our feet down in Guatemala as, one, as part of this trip and be able to experience and see what's going on there and be a part of that. But I 
I want us as a church to more formally partner with Dr. Ugo and what God is doing in this village. And so can we, would you all mind, can I have some of our leaders and folks, anybody that would want to come down, raise a hand. We want to, we want to pray over and bless and send him out to continue on this mission for the sake of the gospel. We want to pray for our involvement in this. Amen. And so, Father, this morning we are grateful for all the great things that you are doing through Dr. Ugo, through Che, in this village, throughout Guatemala, throughout the nations. God, you have called us on this mission to take the light to the world, to the ends of the earth. God, because we know that there's coming a day when every tribe and tongue and nation will be around your throne, worshiping you because you are worthy. And God, we want to be a part of the work that you're doing in this part of the world through Dr. Hugo, through Che. And so God, I pray that God, as he returns to the work that you've called him to, God, that you would continue to bless him and keep him and use him and bless his family. God, I pray that you would use us as a church to be a blessing. God, like Abraham of old, you have called us and you have blessed us to be a blessing. And so, God, would you use us as a church to provide for these needs? God, that we be a part of the great work that you are doing. So, Lord, we pray that you would put on our hearts the part that we can play. God, that you would use so, God, would you use us? God, would you send Dr. Hugo back with your blessing, with your hand upon him and his ministry? Would you continue to use him? We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.